1 Samuel 1, 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. 
When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an effort of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Thank you, Mandy. It's quite a chunk. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as always, we pray that you would use the Bible to change us. Please be with us now, guiding and inspiring us as you will. Amen. Uh, Many of you will be familiar, I trust, with that story that Mandy's just read to us. And it is a great story of a woman who was desperate for a child, who prayed to the Lord and whose prayer the Lord answered. And I could use that as a hook to talk about uh, children and families in general, and in particular to talk about praying for children and why it is that the Lord sometimes does not answer those prayers and, and sometimes does. And I'm aware that in the church there are people who have had both experiences. And that's clearly a very important thing to think about. But, but we need to be careful. We do need to be careful that we don't have a superficial understanding of what that passage is all about. Because deep down, it isn't about praying for children. It's not about families and children at all. Just think about it for a moment. First of all, it's not a simple story of there being a problem and the Lord dealing with it. Did you notice in verse 5, it said... The Lord had closed her womb. The Lord had closed Hannah's womb. In other words, in one sense, the root cause of this was God. God had actually prevented Hannah having children. Why? And then again, this is not a simple story of God creating a happy family. We heard a moment ago that as soon as Samuel had been weaned, his parents took him to live at the sanctuary at Shiloh. Now, in ancient times, children were weaned late. Uh, They probably weren't weaned until the age of two or three, maybe even four in the ancient uh, Near East. So for the first few years of his life, Samuel was with his mother, 
and his father. But then he went to the sanctuary and most of his childhood was spent seeing his parents once a year. But possibly they visited on other occasions, but we certainly don't hear about it. Again, that's not what one might expect to be the end result of this story, is it? And then there's a bigger question. Why is this in the Bible? It's in the middle of the Bible's description of the history of the Israelite people. A history which starts right back at the start of Exodus and goes on through hundreds of pages to the end of the book of Nehemiah. And there in the middle is this story about a woman having a child. Why? To put the matter another way, what's the significance of Samuel's birth and the events that surrounded it? In order to answer that, I need to give you a bit of the history that you would find in the books of the Bible before the book of Samuel that we've just opened. Samuel was born around 1100 BC. Now by that time, the great triumphs of the Exodus and the entry into the promised land were distant memories. Having entered the promised land, the Israelite tribes each went to their allotted part of the land and settled down living largely separate existence, uh, existences. Oh yes, they uh, came together, or some of them did, on occasions to face a common enemy. But for much of the time they were disunited. They even fought one another. And as for God, well, allegiance to God was at best patchy. Oh, yes, the sanctuary at Shiloh, which incidentally was in the hill country of Ephraim, just north of modern-day Jerusalem, yet the worship of God continued there. But as we'll read later on in 1 Samuel, it was hopelessly corrupt. And we know that a lot of people deserted the Lord and worshipped Canaanite gods. The overall picture that's portrayed in the book of Judges is one of chaos, And to cap it all, around 1200 BC, the Philistines began arriving in the Promised Land. They came from the Aegean area by sea. And very quickly, they captured the coast and came to dominate the uh, Israelite country, in fact, the whole of southern Canaan, even ruling over the Israelites on occasions. What had happened? The great promise of the Exodus and of the entry into the promised land of Canaan didn't seem to be being realised, did it? What was going on? Had the people permanently turned their backs on God? Worse still, had God abandoned his people? Were there any grounds for hope at all? You can imagine that people of that day might well have despaired looking at the situation in the world around them, as people today despair of the situation in the world around. And it was in that situation that Hannah prayed to the Lord for a child and Samuel was born. So how did she view the situation? Well, the simple answer to that is prophetically. But to understand what I mean by that, we need to look at the next chapter of 1 Samuel. 
And in a moment, I'm going to ask Mandy to come back up here and read the first 11 verses of that chapter. Before she does so, though, a couple of things. First, it wouldn't half help if you had it open in front of you. It's on page 272 of the Church Bibles. 271 was what she read before. 272 is what she's going to read now. So please do get it in front of you. This is what's commonly called Hannah's Song. We don't know whether she composed it herself or whether it was a song she found in the collection at the sanctuary at Shiloh and adopted for herself. It doesn't really matter, does it? What matters is the sentiment she uttered using it. So, Mandy, would you like to come up? The reading continues, 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. But the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks once again, Mandy. Do you find that a little curious? God had given Hannah a child, and when she came to pray, she hardly mentioned it. Oh yes, she started the prayer uh, rejoicing in the Lord. And it was personal rejoicing. 
My heart rejoices in the Lord. This is verse 1. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. For I delight in your deliverance. Yet if you look at that, even then, what she's really praising God for is the fact that she's been vindicated before Penina. That the Lord has actually upheld her cause, upheld her in relation to this persecution before Penina. The reference to her son is almost in passing, though doubtless she was delighted for it. You see, she gives personal praise about what God had done in her life, but then moves immediately on to the bigger picture. Why? Well, because as we shall see, she recognised that what had happened in her life displayed the nature and the character of God and also exemplified his ordering of the world and how he acts in the world and, more importantly still, pointed forward to what he would be doing in the future. Uh, Take a look at verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. As I said when I was up here two weeks ago, when you see the Lord with capital letters for Lord in the Bible, that's the translation of the name of God as given to Moses at the burning bush. Y-H-W-H, normally pronounced Yahweh in the original. You see, Hannah lived in a polytheistic world. The peoples around her, a lot of the Israelites as well, believed in a lot of gods and followed a lot of different gods. And what Hannah was saying here is, well, they may do that, but I believe and follow that God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Why? Well, there's no one holy like the Lord. That word holy means set apart. God is unique and incomparable. He's pure. There's no one, she's saying, like God. In fact, there is no one besides you, she says. The polytheists are wrong. There is only one God, she was saying. And what's God like? Well, there's no rock like our God. God's solid. He's reliable. He's firm. He's a source of strength. That was Hannah's testimony, nearly mispronounced that, about God. And then move on to verse 3. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. God is an all-knowing judge. And what's more, he's not just an academic judge who just says, yes, yes, well, I've thought about that and you're in the right and you're in the wrong. No, he will judge the ends of the earth, it says in verse 10. And of course, Hannah was doubtless thinking, yeah, and in giving me a child, he's judged between me and Peninnah in this matter of her persecution of me. Furthermore, she saw God overturning the order of the world, reversing people's fortunes. Verse 4, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, 
But those who are hungry, hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. It's the closest she comes, incidentally, to referring to her experience. But she who has had many sons pines away. And then go to verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit the throne of honour. And you see, Hannah saw this as happening because she knew God was sovereign over the world. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. It's all within God's control. It is what he does. And what's the ultimate basis of this? Well, take a look at the end of verse 8. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. God's the creator. It's all his work. It's all under his sovereignty, under his control. Hannah saw all of that as the big picture within which she was living. And what conclusion did she draw from that? Well, it's that it doesn't matter whether we're strong or weak, rich or poor, what we have, what we don't have. What matters is whether we're one of God's people. Verse 9. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. That was Hannah's understanding and experience of God. And we need to reflect on the relevance of that for our own lives. We need to think about how all of that applies in our situation today. And I would encourage you to do that during the course of the coming week. Um, Use the reading plan to give yourselves a framework within which you can do that. Just go through this and think about how these big principles about God apply to you and in your life But we mustn't stop there. We mustn't see that as the end of it. Because what Hannah was saying was not solely, indeed it wasn't even primarily, about the way God acts in the private lives of individuals. Her language, if you think about it, shows very clearly that she was thinking about a much bigger stage here. In fact, her repeated use of the name the Lord, Yahweh, reminds us that this is the God who appeared to Moses, not for his private edification and comfort, but in order to tell him that God was going to rescue his people from Egypt and promised to do so. And then, having done so, he appeared again, and entered into a covenant with his people. If they would follow him and commit to him, he would be their God and they would be his people. And then there's something more specific. I left out the end of verse 10, of course, when I was quoting a moment ago. Take a look at it. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 
Which king? There wasn't a king. In fact, that was half the problem. As judges keep saying, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That was part of the reason for the chaos. What's Hannah talking about? Well, you see, Moses had prophesied that one day there would be a king. Take a look in Deuteronomy 17 afterwards if you want to read more about that. It's well worth doing so. It does appear in the reading plan at one point later on in a few weeks' time. Hannah believed that. And she saw what had happened to her as indicative of what would happen to that king. In fact, her whole prayer starts and ends with that theme. Those are the bookends of it. Go right back to verse 1, second, uh, third line. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. Horn there is a symbol of strength, as it often is. It's a very, fairly obvious symbol. And what she's saying is, in the Lord, I'm strengthened. And then at the end, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. In other words, she's saying, just as in my little world God has strengthened me, so on the big stage in due course, he will strengthen the leader of his people. You see, what Hannah, 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 let me put it another way. Hannah's faith and her experience had taught her that there was no reason for despair in the situation around her. She didn't despair. Instead, she waited in faith and hope for God to act. Act by sending a king, as promised. A king who would uh, be strengthened by God, who would follow in God's ways, and who would uh, uh, deliver the Israelites from the chaos in which they were in and from their enemies around them. She didn't despair. Now, she didn't live to see that fulfilled. Indeed, neither, incidentally, did her son, Samuel. But through their faith and obedience, God fulfilled his promises. Samuel was a prophet, and God used Samuel both to declare and indeed, in some cases, to implement his plans for his people Israel. That lay some decades in the future, but Hannah clearly perceived it, probably dimly, but she did perceive it. What she probably didn't perceive was that there was a still greater fulfilment to come, not some decades in the future, but some centuries in the future. Did um, Hannah's song remind you of something? Let me just quote something from the New Testament. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, holy is his name, skipping on a bit. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, 
but has sent the rich empty away. The Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. Mary's song in anticipation of the birth of Jesus. And even from that quick reading, I'm sure you can see that there are a number of similarities between Hannah's song and Mary's song. And those similarities are not simply superficial linguistic similarities. You see, God fulfilled what Hannah anticipated. God was to send a person to be king of Israel, to bring deliverance to the Israelite people. That person was King David, and God did tremendous things through him. But, but that was deliverance from particular problems experienced by a particular people at a particular time. And the deliverance was certainly incomplete and not perfect. David is described by Paul as a man after God's own heart, but he was still a very definitely a frail and flawed human being. And what happened under him was only a partial fulfillment of that vision that Hannah has in her song. The perfect fulfillment had to await Jesus. Go back to verse 10, the very last line. God will exalt the horn of his anointed. That word anointed there translates the Hebrew word Messiah. What it actually says is he will exalt the horn of his Messiah. You see, David was God's anointed. He was God's Messiah to bring salvation to God's Israelite people of his time and his place. And Jesus was also God's Messiah. God's anointed is also God's anointed. The Messiah to bring salvation to all God's people at all times and in all places. We can go back to the question I posed at the beginning. Uh, What is the significance of Samuel's birth and the events that surrounded it? First, Hannah saw that in it God's nature and character were revealed She saw that it exemplified God's ordering of the world, his way of acting in the world, not merely in the lives of individuals, but in the lives of his people as a whole, of nations, indeed, of the whole world. And through Hannah's and Samuel's faith and obedience, God was setting in train a series of events that were to lead to the salvation of the Israelite people of the day. And those events pointed forward to that greater salvation, the advent of Jesus, great David's greater son, as we sometimes sing, and the salvation of all of God's people. From little acorns, great oak trees grow. Amen.